Here is a sermon message from Somerville Community Baptist Church. To hear more sermons like this, please visit iloveSCBC.org. When a pastor is called to prepare a funeral service for a member, as I've been done many times, one of the first things that I do is to schedule an appointment to come and meet with the family members of the deceased one. We gather either at the church or in the living room of the deceased home. And I was usually bringing my notepad with me, and we sat out together, and we began with a prayer. Then I asked the family members questions. What is his life story? And then when we finally get to the last moment, I asked them this question. Tell me what defines your husband. What is the defining characteristics of your wife? What was it that people would say about your father? And if I were to talk to your loved one before they passed away and ask them this question, what do you want to be remembered for? What would they say? Then I write those things down. Now, someday, someone's going to come and sit in your living room with your families and your friends. And then if I'm going to ask those same questions, what would the answers be? What would those answers be? Every once in a while, I found it very helpful to stop and ask this question, how do I want to remember? And what are the defining characteristics that I hope to cultivate in my life? I may not be there, but this is what I like to be remembered. And I'd like to encourage you today that one of the defining characteristics that I hold for you and for me would be generosity. I will hope that people would say about you, you know what? She was generous. He was generous. When there was a need, he helped me. He was faithful and giving to God. He made a difference in this world. He sacrificed so that other people might have what they needed. He was that kind of person, man of generosity. She was that kind of person, woman of generosity. Today we conclude our series called Life, Money, Hope, which we've been looking at this Christian relationship to our earthly possessions. How we make money, how we spend, how we deal with our debts and desire for our possessions. And we bring that series to a conclusion by focusing on this idea, this idea of generosity. I love what Winston Churchill once said about generosity. I quote, we make a living by what we get, but we make life by what we get. Let me say it one more time. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Generosity is one of the essential defining characteristics that we as Christians should have. It is the generosity that makes a difference in our life, in our family, in our community, in our nation. But often I find in my own life that there are two other voices which constantly were against this idea of generosity. One of them was the voice of fear. And the voice of fear was telling me, if you give, there may not be enough left over for you. And that worried me before. That's right. What if I don't have enough to take care of my needs? What if I do not have enough to take care of my family's needs? 
What if I can't afford to pay my bills? The other voice that I would hear was the voice of self-pleasure, the voice of self-gratification. That is, if you give, you're not going to have enough to get the stuff that's going to make you happy. Because the society around us tells us that our lives consist in the abundance of our possessions. And if I give to God and others, I won't be able to go hang out with my friends. I won't be able to buy those things that I want to buy. I won't be able to do cool stuff that I want to do. If I give to God and others, there's not going to be enough left over for me. And those two voices continue to compete with this idea of generosity in our life. Now, when it comes to generosity, I came to understand that a theological foundation for generosity is this, that everything on earth belongs to God. We didn't bring any of them with us when we came to this world. And we won't take any of them when we leave. In the end, it all goes back into a box which is about six and a half feet long and two feet wide. We got to realize that our life is a gift. But our life also has a time limit. And it all ultimately belongs to God. We don't own anything. God owns it. The book of Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23 says this. The land is mine and you are but aliens, foreigners and my tenants. Isn't that interesting? That we are not owners but are tenants on God's land. And the New Living Translation put it this way. You are only foreigners and tenants, farmers working for me. And in the book of Genesis, God created Adam and Eve and put them in the midst of Garden of Eden. And God says this, Now be fruitful and multiply and subdue or manage or take care of this planet. Meaning it is mine. And I'm asking you to take care of them on my behalf. So we are stewards of the blessings of God. And our goal is trying to figure out what does God wants us to do with the resources that God has given on our hands. Now, obviously, a larger portion of our resources is used to take care of us. I mean, God expects us to eat. God expects us to have shelter, to take care of our children. So a large portion of what we have is for those purposes, for us. And God wants us to enjoy things in life. He doesn't want us to live in poverty. He doesn't want us to live in unhappy. He wants us to enjoy our life. But he also expects us to do more than just focus on our lives. So the scripture teaches us that we are to help the poor. When you help the poor, you are blessed. And we are to give to those who are in need. And that's what God expects us to do apart from taking care of us. We take care of us. But in more of them, we take care of our church members. We take care of our church you know, neighbor. We take care of those in the community around us. And also, we give our treasure to God. 
We give directly to God and through the church so we can accomplish God's purpose that is given to us. Now, at church, we give God what is called tithing. One-tenth of our income. You may find examples in Old Testament. Abraham was the first one to give tithing to God. Jacob, who gave tithing to the Lord. And then when we come to the time of Moses, it is codified in the law where now God says, this is what I'm expecting. It is in my law. That a tenth of what you have is mine. So make sure to use for what I choose to use it. In the New Testament, we know that we are not bound by the law of Moses anymore. So we look at it as a guide. We look at it, the tithing as a guideline. Yet most Christians agree that the tithing is a good guideline and it is a good spiritual discipline for our lives and the one that is pleasing to God. Now, when it comes to this idea of tithing, it is a challenging idea for many of us. It's a stretch, especially if you are a new believer of Christ, or even if you're a long-time Christian, it is a big stretch as dealing with these two voices in our life, the voices of fear and the voices of pleasure or self-gratification. Give a tenth? You gotta be kidding. I can't afford to do that. Now, I came across this um, one preacher's wonderful graphic way of portraying tithing and how God says it. So I just want to take a moment to share that with you, all right? God sees sort of your wealth and income like these 10 apples that I have before me. And God says, nine of these are yours. Use them to take care of you. Use them to take care of your family, to clothe yourself using them for food and for shelter, and some set aside for your retirement, some for your friends, and some for even the poor, and some for your pleasure, your vacation, your, your trip. You've got this nine of the apples, but the Lord says, one of them, one of them is mine. It is meant to be used as a way for you to express your praise your obedience and your love for me so that I can use them to accomplish my purposes in the world. But here's what happens to many of us. Because our society is pulling us so many directions, we find that nine apples are not enough anymore. How can we do all the fun stuff and cool stuff as well as the stuff that we need to do make our even living with those nine apples? It seems living with those nine apples are not enough. So we think, Lord, who owns this entire universe, he's not going to mind if you just take a little bit, little bite of his. Especially trip, all the coming trip that I remember my family have been talking about. I know he will understand because it is for the goodness of my family. So we're just going to take this one bite of apple of his Mmm, this is so good. I know he will understand. And then it's Christmas time. It's time for giving. It may not be to God, but it is still to other people. It's for other children and our children. So he will understand. So we'll take another bite. Hmm, this is so good. 
this is really good. And then we start thinking about our retirement. It's coming up sooner than we are thinking, and I need to set aside more. But I don't have any extra money. Oh, that's right. God's money. He will understand. Take another bite. Hmm. This is really good. So good. And medical emergency. Because we didn't set aside an emergency fund in our savings account. Oh, God's money is right there. He will understand. Take another bite. It's time to get a new car. Another bite. And then there's a big screen right before the Super Bowl. That's right. We've been thinking about getting. We don't have enough money. Oh, that's right. We have God's money. And we'll take another bite. Then we say, the Lord, thank you for all the blessings. I give you a portion back to you. This is yours. Look at this. Look at this apple. This is kind of graphic portrayal of, I think, of what happens in many of our lives. We consider God as one of ours because what we have, those nine, it doesn't seem to be enough to fulfill our own desire, our own joy. And we use it. But you know what the funny thing is? If you give God's first part, you're never going to be tempted to eat that one because it is just not there anymore. And somehow you figure out how to make the nine apples work in your life. I know that is challenging, but it can be done. Now, when it comes to tithing, I find it very interesting that when we make a little bit of money, we think, when I make more money, I will tie down. And then the people who make a lot of money, they think, you know, I can tie back when I make less, but I cannot tie right now. You know how much I'm making? Which reminds me of a story. A story of a man who came up to a minister and says, Pastor, you know I'm struggling with this idea of tithing. I mean, I tithe when I made $30,000 a year. I gave $3,000 a year to the church. I could do that, but you know, last year I made $500,000. I can't afford to give $50,000 to God. And then the pastor said, I understand, brother, you've got a serious problem. How about we pray about that? And then this man said, that's great, pastor. Would you pray about this with me? So the pastor put his hands on this man, and then he said, oh, Lord, you know, this man has a serious problem right now. And I pray that you help him with that. I pray that you take his income back down to the level where he can afford to tie. My hope for you, brothers and sisters, as a members and friends of this church, that you'd understand this one, this one belongs to God, and become good tithers. That you'd give the first tense, the first fruit to the Lord as a means of your very best way to express your praise your obedience, and your love for him. Amen? Now, I had many people ask me on how we should tie. Like before or after tie, or is that uh, retirement include or exclude, etc. Do I do not have the answer? Because scholars are still debating on how this tithing works. But I do have what I know and what I've been practicing. 
Okay? So this is just how Mina and I do it. We take our total income, everything that I make from the church, including my housing allowance, and Mina make from the church and from her teaching, then we take off of that um, the items like the federal income tax, the state income tax, and social security tax. And on the money that we set aside for our retirements, off of the top as well. Then we multiply remainder by 10%, and that's the number that appears on our commitment card today. Now, you might say, Pastor, why do you take off those retirements and social security? Because we're going to tie on that when we receive that money. All right? So when we take it out and receive it on our retirement, we are going to tie still on that. And if there is anything left over on Social Security, I hope really so, then we will also tie it on that too. And you might also ask, Pastor, why you take off those um, you know, federal and state income tax off of your tithing? To me, that when it comes for our taxes, um, both Mina and myself, we look at that as the price of doing business here in America. Well, do it a different way, but that gives us and gives you guys um, kind of simple formula on how to make this work. Let me just mention as I begin to wrap this up, what is it that our giving does for God and what is our giving do for us? Because both of those are the outcomes of our giving. Now, when it comes to God, I think it's not that hard to understand how our giving affects Him. The scripture says that the people would bring their offerings to God. They would burn the animal completely. You know, that was before the temple. They would burn completely. The person wouldn't eat any, anything of it, any parts of it. But it was a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. Did God enjoy the burning smell of that meat? No. What God knew and what God really enjoyed was this person was giving of their heart to the Lord and that glorified Him. Don't you think that's how God looks at your offerings? This is not a financial transaction that you do. It is not a business deal. It is a way of saying, God of what I have, what I've made, I return a portion to you to say thank you and that I love you and I hope that you use this somehow to make a difference in the world. That's how I think that God looks at our offerings. Now, what do our offerings do for us? Well, they change us. Generosity changes us because we were created to be generous. And what happens is when you are not generous, you have a problem. And this is not a good portrayal picture, but I think it's a perfect one to describe on what's happening to some of you. So I just want to share this with you, right? The spiritual and financial problems you have when you are not generous. That means you are spiritually, financially constipated, all right? The spiritual and financial problems you have when you are not generous, you are spiritually and financially constipated. You keep taking it in, but you are not giving it out. 
and it causes a pain after a while. And it's uncomfortable. And you may not even realize it. You keep taking in and wonder why this is not making me happy. Why this is not satisfied me. It's not satisfying you because you are not made for keep taking in and never give anything back. You were created for generosity. So you are only going to find the joy that this possession should bring to your life when you get unstuck. You're going to get relief when you learn how to give. So make sure to be generous to your neighbors who are in need. Make sure to be generous to people when they are hurting because of their needs. And to be generous towards God because it changes us. It changes our hearts. So I'd like to encourage you today, brothers and sisters, as we begin this financial campaign for 2019, that one of the defining characteristics that I hold for you and for me would be generosity. I will hope that one day in your living room, the people that you love, your family members, your friends, would gather and say about you that you know what? She was generous. He was generous. When there was a need, he helped me. He was very faithful giver to God. And he made a difference in the world. I hope and pray that generosity is one of your characteristics that you would be remembered for. May God bless you and his word. Amen.